Book Two, Chapter Nine of The Crossing by Winston Churchill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nine. Cherchez la femme. Sunday came with the soft haziness of a June morning, and the dew sucked fresh fragrance from the blossoms and the grass. I looked out of our window at the orchard, all pink and white in the early sun, and across a patch of clover to the stone kitchen. A pearly, feathery smoke was wafted from the chimney. A delicious aroma of Creole coffee pervaded the odor of the blossoms and a cotton-clad negro appeased nude came down the path with two steaming cups and knocked at our door he who has tasted creole coffee will never forget it the effect of it was lost upon nick for he laid down the cup sighed and promptly went to sleep again while i dressed and went forth to make his excuses to the family i found monsieur and madame with their children walking among the flowers madame laughed he is charming your cousin said she let him sleep by all means until after mass then you must come with us to madame chateau's my mother's her children and grandchildren dine with her every sunday madame chateau my mother-in-law is the queen regent of st louis mr ritchie said monsieur gratiot gaily we're all afraid of her and i warn you that she's a very determined and formidable personage she is the widow of the founder of st louis the sieur laclade although she prefers her own name she rules us with a strong hand dispenses justice settles disputes and sometimes indulges in them herself it is her right you will see a very pretty french custom of submission to parents said madame gratiot and afterwards there is a ball a ball i exclaimed involuntarily it may seem very strange to you mr ritchie but we believe that sunday was made to enjoy they will have time to attend the ball before you send them down the river she added mischievously turning to her husband certainly said he the loading will not be finished before eight o'clock presently madame gratiot went off to mass while i walked with monsieur gratiot to a storehouse near the river's bank whence the skins neatly packed and numbered were being carried to the boats on the sweating shoulders of the negroes the half-breeds and the canadian boatmen bulky bales of yellow elk from the upper plains of the missouri of buffalo and deer and bear and priceless little packages of the otter and the beaver trapped in the green shade of the endless northern forest and brought hither in pirogues down the swift river by the red tribesmen and canadian adventurers afterwards i strolled about the silent village even the cabarets were deserted a private of the spanish louisiana regiment in a dirty uniform slouched behind the palings in front of the commandant's quarters a quaint stone house set against the hill with dormer windows in its curving roof with a wide porch held by eight sturdy hewn pillars here and there a muffled figure of a prowling indian loitered or a barefooted negress shuffled along by the fence crooning a folk-song all the world had obeyed the call of the church bell save these and nick i bethought myself of nick 
and made my way back to Monsieur Gratiot's. I found my cousin railing at Benji, who had extracted from the saddlebags a wondrous grey suit of London cut in which to array his master. Clothes became Nick's slim figure remarkably. This coat was cut away smartly, like a uniform, towards the tails, and was brought in at the waist with an infinite art. "'Whither now, my conquistador?' I said. "'To mass,' said he. "'To mass!' I exclaimed. "'But you've slept through the greater part of it.' "'The best part is to come,' said Nick, giving a final touch to his neck-band. Followed by Benji's adoring eyes, he started out of the door, and I followed him perforce. We came to the little church of upright logs and plaster, with its crudely shingled peaked roof, with its tiny belfry crowned by a cross, with its porches on each side shading the line of windows there. Beside the church, a little at the back, was the curé's modest house of stone and at the other hand, under spreading trees, the graveyard with its rough wooden crosses. And behind these graves rose the wooded hill that stretched away towards the wilderness. What a span of life has been theirs who rested here! Their youth, perchance, had been spent amongst the crooked streets of some French village, streets lined by red-tiled houses and crossing limpid streams by quaint bridges death had overtaken them beside a monster tawny river of which their imaginations had not conceived a river which draws tribute from the remote places of an unknown land a river indeed which mixing all the waters seemed to symbolize a coming race which was to conquer the land by its resistless flow even as the mississippi bore relentlessly towards the sea these were my own thoughts as i listened to the tones of the priest as they came droningly out of the door while nick was exchanging jokes in doubtful french with some half-breeds leaning against the palings then we heard benches scraping on the floor and the congregation began to file out those who reached the steps gave back respectfully and there came an elderly lady in a sober turban a black mantilla wrapped tightly about her shoulders and i made no doubt that she was monsieur gratiot's mother-in-law madame chateau she whom he had jestingly called the queen regent i was sure of this when i saw madame gratiot behind her madame chateau indeed had the face of authority a high bridged nose a determined chin a mouth that shut tightly madame gratiot presented us to her mother and as she passed on to the gate madame chateau reminded us that we were to dine with her at two after her congregation the well-to-do and the poor alike poured out of the church and spread in merry groups over the grass keel boatmen in tow-shirts and party-colored worsted belts the blacksmith the shoemaker the farmer of a small plot in the common fields in large cotton pantaloons and light-wove camlet coat the more favored in skull-caps linen small-clothes cotton stockings and silver-buckled shoes 
every man pausing, dipping into his tabatiere for a word with his neighbor. The women, too, made a picture strange to our eyes, the matrons in jacket and petticoat, a madras handkerchief flung about their shoulders, the girls in fresh cotton aid or calamanco. All at once cries of Palate, Palate were heard, and a nimble young man with a jester-like face hopped around the corner of the church, trundling a barrel. Behind Palate came two rotund little men perspiring freely, and laden down with various articles, a bird-cage with two yellow birds, a hat-trunk, an inlaid card-box, a roll of scarlet cloth, and I know not what else. They deposited these on the grass beside the barrel which Palate had set on end, and proceeded to mount, encouraged by the shouts of his friends who pressed around the barrel. It's an auction, I said, but Nick did not hear me. I followed his glance to the far side of the circle, and my eye was caught by a red ribbon, a blush that matched it. A glance shot from underneath long lashes, but not for me. Beside the girl, and palpably uneasy, stood the young man who had been called Gaspard. Ah, said I, your angel of the tumbrel. But Nick had pulled off his hat and was sweeping her a bow. The girl looked down, smoothing her ribbon. Gaspard took a step forward, and the other young women near us tittered with delight. The voice of Polity rolling his R's called out in a French dialect. Messieurs and Madames, c'est sort of fête d'un pauvre, officer qui est mort. Who will buy? He opened the hat trunk, produced an antiquated beaver with a gold cord, and surveyed it with a covetedness that was admirably feigned, for Pilate was an actor. Assures to own such a hat were a pattern of nobility. Am I bid twenty livres? There was a loud laughter, and he was bid four. Gaspard, cried the auctioneer, addressing the young man of the tumbrel. Suzanne would no longer hesitate if she saw you in such a hat, and with the trunk, too. Ah, mon dieu, can you afford to miss it? The crowd howled. Suzanne simpered, and Gaspard turned as pink as clover. But he was not to be bullied. The hat was sold to an elderly person the red cloth likewise a pot of grease went to a housewife and there was a veritable scramble for the box of playing cards and at last hippolyte held up the wooden cage with the fluttering yellow birds ha he cried his eyes on gaspard once more a gentle present a present to make a heart relent and monsieur leon Perchance you will make a bid, although they are not gamecocks. Instantly from somewhere under the barrel a cock crew. Even the yellow birds looked surprised, and as for Polity, he nearly dropped the cage. One elderly person crossed himself. I looked at Nick. His face was impassive. But suddenly I remembered his boyhood gift, how he had imitated the monkeys, and I began to shake with inward laughter. There was an uncomfortable silence. Peste, c'est la magique, said an old man at last, searching with an uncertain hand for his snuff. Monsieur, cried Nick to the auctioneer, 
I will make a bid, but first you must tell me whether they are cocks or yellow birds. Parbleu, answered the puzzled Hippolyte. That I do not know, monsieur. Everybody looked at Nick, including Suzanne. Very well, said he. I will make a bid and if they turn out to be gamecocks, I will fight them with Monsieur Léon behind the cabaret. Two liveries. There was a laugh as of relief. Three, cried Gaspard, and his voice broke. Hippolyte looked insulted. Messieurs, he shouted, they are from the Canaries, Diable und Berge, Joet et another laugh and gaspard wiped the perspiration from his face five said he six said nick and the villagers turned to him in wonderment what could such a fine monsieur want with two yellow birds en avant gaspard said hippolyte and suzanne shot another barbed glance in our direction seven muttered gaspard eight said nick immediately nine said gaspard ten said nick ten cried hippolyte i am offered ten livres for the yellow birds un bagatelle os gaspard os os livres pour l'amour de suzanne but gaspard was silent no appeals entreaties or taunts could persuade him to bid more and at length hippolyte with a gesture of disdain handed nick the cage as though he were giving it away monsieur he said the birds are yours since there are no more lovers who are worthy of the name they do not exist monsieur answered nick it is to disprove that statement that i have bought the birds mademoiselle he added turning to the flushing suzanne I pray that you will accept this present with every assurance of my humble regard. Mademoiselle took the cage, and amidst the laughter of the village at the discomfiture of poor Gaspard, swept Nick a frightened courtesy, one that nevertheless was full of coquetry, and at that instant, to cap the situation, a rotund little man with a round face under a linen beretta grasped nick by the hand and cried in painful but sincere english monsieur you make my daughter very happy she want those birds ever since captain lopez he die monsieur i am jean baptiste lenore colonel chateau's miller and we very happy to see you at the pond if monsieur will lead the way said nick instantly taking the little man by the arm but you are to dine at madame chateau's he expostulated to be sure said he au revoir monsieur au revoir mademoiselle potard mademoiselle potard nodostrans potard what devil inhabits you i said when i got him started on the way to madame chateau's your own at present davy he answered laying a hand on my shoulder else i should be on the way to the pond with lenore but the ball is to come and he executed several steps in anticipation davy i'm sorry for you why i demanded though feeling a little self-commiseration also you will never know how to enjoy yourself said he with conviction 
Madame Chateau lived in a stone house, wide and low, surrounded by trees and gardens. It was a pretty tribute of respect her children and grandchildren paid her that day, in accordance with the old French usage of honoring the parent. I should like to linger on the scene and tell how Nick made them all laugh over the story of Suzanne Lenore and the Yellow Birds and how the children pressed around him and made him imitate all the denizens of wood and field amid deafening shrieks of delight you have probably delayed gaspard's wooing another year mr temple suzanne is a sad coquette said colonel august chateau laughing as we set out for the ball the sun was hanging low over the western hills as we approached the barracks and out of the open windows came the merry mad sound of violin guitar and flageolet the tinkle of a triangle now and then the shouts of laughter the shuffle of many feet over the pungeons within the door smiling and benignant unmindful of the stifling atmosphere sat the black-robed village priest talking volubly to an elderly man in a scarlet cap and several stout ladies ranged along the wall beyond them on a platform zarin the baker fiddled as though his life depended on it the perspiration dripping from his brow frowning gesticulating at them with the flageolet and the triangle and in a dim noisy heated whirl the whole village went round and round and round under the low ceiling in the valves young and old rich and poor high and low the sound of their laughter and the scraping of their feet cut now and again by an agonized squeak from zarin's fiddle from time to time a staggering panting couple would fling themselves out help themselves liberally to pink syrup from the bowl on the side table and then fling themselves in once more until zarin stopped from sheer exhaustion to tune up for a potty do across the room by the syrup bowl a pair of red ribbons flaunted and a pair of eyes sent a swift challenge zarin and his assistants struck up again and there in a corner was nick temple with characteristic effrontery attempting a potty do with suzanne though nick was ignorant he was not ungraceful and the village laughed and admired and when Zarin drifted back into a valse, he seized Suzanne's plump figure in his arms and bore her, unresisting like a prize among the dancers, avoiding alike the fat and unwieldy, the clumsy and the spiteful. For a while the tune held its mad pace and ended with a shriek and a snap on a high note, for Zarin had broken a string amid a burst of laughter from the far end of the room i saw nick stop before an open window in which a prying indian was framed swing suzanne at arm's length and bow abruptly at the brave with a grunt that startled him into life matin michant shrieked suzanne excitedly poor gaspard poor hippolyte they would gain suzanne for a dance only to have her snatched away at the next by the slim and reckless young gentleman in the gray court clothes little nick cared that the affair soon became the amusement of the company from time to time as he glided past with suzanne on his shoulder 
he nodded gaily to colonel chateau or made a long face at me and to save our souls we could not help laughing the girl has met her match for she has played shuttlecock with all the hearts in the village said monsieur chateau and perhaps it is just as well that mr temple is leaving to-night i have signed a bon mr ritchie by which you can obtain money at new orleans and do not forget to present our letter to monsieur de st gris he has a daughter by the way who will be more a match for your friend's fascinations than suzanne the evening faded into twilight with no signs of weariness from the dancers and presently there stood beside us jean baptiste lenore the colonel's miller bonce monsieur le colonel he said touching his skull cap the water is very low your friend he added turning to me he stay long time in st louis he's going away to-night in an hour or so i answered with thanksgiving in my heart i am sorry said monsieur lenore politely but his looks belied his words is ver fond suzanne but he try he marry her but i think not i come away from france to escape the fine gentleman long time ago they want to run off with my wife she was like suzanne how long ago did you come from france monsieur i asked to get away from an uncomfortable subject it is twenty years said he dreamily in french i was born in the quartier st jean on the harbor of the city of marseilles near notre dame de la nativite and he told of a tall uneven house of four stories with a high-pitched roof and a little barred door and window at the bottom giving out upon the rough cobbles he spoke of the smell of the sea of the rollicking sailors who surged through the narrow streets to embark on his majesty's men of war and of the king's white soldiers in ranks of four going to foreign lands and how he had become a farmer the tenant of a country family excitement grew on him and he mopped his brow with his blue rummel handkerchief they desire all the nobles he cried i make the land good and they seize it i marry a pretty wife and monsieur le comte he want her le bon dieu he added bitterly relapsing into french france is for the king and the nobility monsieur the poor have but little chance there in the country i have seen the peasants eat roots and in the city the poor devour the refuse from the houses of the rich it was we who paid for their luxuries and with mine own eyes i have seen their gilded coaches ride down weak men and women in the streets but it cannot last they will murder louis and burn the great chateau i who speak to you am of the people monsieur i know it the sun had long set and with flint and tow they were touching the flame to the candles which flickered transparent yellow in the deepening twilight so absorbed had i become in listening to lenore's description that i had forgotten nick now i searched for him among the promenading figures and missed him in vain did i seek for a glimpse of suzanne's red ribbons and i grew less and less attentive to the miller's reminiscences and arraignments of the nobility had nick indeed run away with his daughter the dancing went on with unabated zeal and through the open door in the fainting azure of the sky the summer moon hung above the hills like a great yellow orange 
striving to hide my uneasiness i made my farewells to madame chateau's sons and daughters and their friends and with colonel chateau i left the hall and began to walk towards monsieur gratiot's hoping against hope that nick had gone there to change but we had scarce reached the road before we could see two figures in the distance hazily outlined in the mid-light of the departed sun and the coming moon the first was monsieur gratiot himself the second benjy monsieur gratiot took me by the hand i regret to inform you mr ritchie he said politely that my keel-boats are loaded and ready to leave were you on any other errand i should implore you to stay with us is temple at your house i asked faintly why no said monsieur gratiot i thought he was with you at the ball where's your master i demanded sternly of benjy i ain't seed him marsh dave since i put him into dem fine clothes that he wearin' a courtin he's gone off with the girl put in colonel chateau laughing but where i said with growing anger at this lack of consideration on nick's part i'll warrant that gaspard or hippolyte beauger will know if they can be found said the colonel neither of them willingly lets the girl out of his sight as we hurried back towards the throbbing sounds of zeron's fiddle i apologized as best i might to monsieur gratiot declaring that if nick were not found within the half-hour i would leave without him my host protested that an hour or so would make no difference we were about to pass through the group of loungers that loitered about the gate when the sound of rapid footsteps arrested us and we turned to confront two panting and perspiring young men who halted beside us one was hippolyte beauger more fantastic than ever as he faced the moon and the other was gaspard they had plainly made a common cause but it was hippolyte who spoke monsieur he cried you seek your friend ha we have found him we will lead you to him where is he said colonel chateau repressing another laugh on the pond monsieur in a boat monsieur with suzanne monsieur le colonel and moreover he will come ashore for no one parbleu said the colonel i should think not of any arguments that you two could muster but we will go there how far is it i asked thinking of monsieur gratiot about a mile said colonel chateau a pleasant walk we stepped out, Hippolyte and Gaspard running in front, the Colonel and Monsieur Gratiot and myself following, and a snicker which burst out now and then told us that Benji was in the rear. On any other errand I should have thought the way beautiful, for the country road, rutted by wooden wheels, wound in and out through pleasant vales and over gentle rises whence we caught glimpses from time to time of the mississippi gleaming like molten gold to the eastward here and there nestling against the gentle slopes of the hillside clearing was a low thatched farmhouse among its orchards as we walked nick's escapade instead of angering monsieur gratiot seemed to present itself to him in a more and more ridiculous aspect and twice he nudged me to call my attention to the two vengefully triumphant figures silhouetted against the moon ahead of us from time to time also i saw colonel chateau shaking with laughter 
as for me it was impossible to be angry at nick for any space nobody else would have carried off a girl in the face of her rivals for a moonlight row on a pond a mile away at length we began to go down into the valley where chateau's pond was and we caught glimpses of the shimmering of its waters through the trees i and presently heard them tumbling lightly over the mill dam the spot was made for romance a sequestered vale clad with forest trees cleared a little by the waterside where monsieur lenore raised his maize and his vegetables below the mill so monsieur gratiot told me where the creek lay in pools on its limestone bed the village washing was done and every monday morning bare-legged negresses strode up this road the bundles of clothes balanced on their heads the paddles in their hands followed by a stream of black urchins who tempted providence to drown them down in the valley we came to a path that branched from the road and led under the oaks and hickories towards the pond and we had not taken twenty paces in it before the notes of a guitar and the sound of a voice reached our ears and then when the six of us stood huddled in the rank growth at the water's edge we saw a boat floating idly in the forest shadow on the far side i put my hand to my mouth nick i shouted there came for an answer with the careless and unskilful thrumping of the guitar the end of the verse thine eyes are bright as the stars at night thy cheeks like the rose of the dawning o oh. hilas exclaimed hippolyte sadly there's no other boat nick i shouted again reinforced vociferously by the others the music ceased there came feminine laughter across the water then nick's voice in french that dared everything go away and amuse yourselves at the dance peste it is scarce an hour ago i threatened to row ashore and break your heads allez-vous a scream of delight from suzanne followed this sally which was received by gaspard and hippolyte with a rattle of sacres and despite our irritation the colonel monsieur gratiot and myself with a burst of involuntary laughter parbleu said the colonel choking it is a pity to disturb such a one gratiot if it was my boat i'd delay the departure till morning indeed i shall have had no small entertainment as a solace said monsieur gratiot listen the tinkle of the guitar was heard again and nick's voice strong and full and undisturbed supposing i was to go to Orleans and take sick and die like a bird into the country my spirit would fly go away old man and leave me alone for i am a stranger and a long way from home there was a murmur of voices in the boat the sound of a paddle gurgling as it dipped and the dugout shot out towards the centre of the pond and drifted again i shouted once more at the top of my lungs come in here nick instantly there was a moment's silence by gad it's parson davy i heard nick exclaim hello davy how the deuce did you get there no thanks to you i retorted hotly come in lord said he is it time to go to new orleans 
"'One might think New Orleans was across the street,' said Monsieur Gratiot. "'What an attitude of mind!' The dugout was coming towards us now, propelled by easy strokes, and Nick could be heard the while talking in low tones to Suzanne. We could only guess at the tenor of his conversation, which ceased entirely as they drew near. At length the prow slid in among the rushes, was seized vigorously by Gaspard and Apollity, and the boat hauled ashore. "'Thank you very much, messieurs. You're most obliging,' said Nick. And, taking Suzanne by the hand, he helped her gallantly over the gunwale. Monsieur, he added, turning in his most irresistible manner to Monsieur Gratiot, if I have delayed the departure of your boat, I am exceedingly sorry, but I appeal to you if I have not the best of excuses. And he bowed to Suzanne, who stood beside him coyly, looking down. As for Polity and Gaspard, they were quite breathless between rage and astonishment, but Colonel Chateau began to laugh. Diable, monsieur, you are right, he cried, and rather than have missed this entertainment, I would pay Gratiot for his cargo. Au revoir, mademoiselle, said Nick. I will return when I am released from bondage. And when this terrible mentor relaxes vigilance, I will escape and make my way back to you through the forests. Oh, cried mademoiselle to me, you will let him come back, monsieur? Assuredly, mademoiselle, I said but I have known him longer than you, and I will tell you that in a month you will not wish to come back. Hippolyte gave a grunt of approval to this plain speech. Suzanne exclaimed, but before Nick could answer, footsteps were heard in the path, and Lenore himself, perspiring, panting, exhausted, appeared in the midst of us. Suzanne! he cried. Suzanne! And turning to Nick, he added quite simply, so monsieur you did not run off with her after all there was no place to run monsieur answered nick praise be to god for that said the miller heartily there's some advantage in living in the wilderness when everything is said i shall come back and try monsieur said nick the miller raised his hands i assure you that he will not monsieur i put in he thanked me profusely, and suddenly an idea seemed to strike him. "'There is the priest,' he cried. "'Monsieur le Curé retires late. There is the priest, monsieur.' There was an awkward silence, broken at length by an exclamation from Gaspard. Colonel Chateau turned his back, and I saw his shoulders heave. All eyes were on Nick, but the rascal did not seem at all perturbed. Monsieur, he said, bowing, marriage is a serious thing, and not to be entered into lightly. I thank you from my heart, but I am bound now with Mr. Ritchie on an errand of such importance that I must make a sacrifice of my own interests and affairs to his. If Mr. Temple wishes, I began with malicious delight, but Nick took me by the shoulder. My dear Davy, he said, giving me a vicious kick, I could not think of it. I will go with you at once. Adieu, mademoiselle, said he, bending over Suzanne's unresisting hand. Adieu, messieurs, and I thank you for your great interest in me, this to Gaspard and Hippolyte. And now, monsieur Gratiot, I have already presumed too much on your patience. I will follow you, monsieur. 
We left them, Lenore, Suzanne, and her two suitors, standing at the pond, and made our way through the path in the forest. It was not until we reached the road and had begun to climb out of the valley that the silence was broken between us. "'Monsieur,' said Colonel Chateau, slyly, "'do you have many such escapes?' "'It might have been closer,' said Nick. "'Closer?' ejaculated the Colonel. "'Assuredly,' said Nick, "'to the extent of abducting Monsieur le Curé. "'As for you, Davy,' he added between his teeth, "'I mean to get even with you.' "'It was well for us that the Colonel and Monsieur Gratiot "'took the escapade with such good nature. "'And so we walked along through the summer night, "'talking gaily, until at length the lights of the village twinkled ahead of us, and in the streets we met many parties making merry on their homeward way. We came to Monsieur Gratiot's, bade our farewells to Madame, picked up our saddlebags, the two gentlemen escorting us down to the river bank where the keel-boat was tugging at the ropes that held her, impatient to be off. Her captain, a picturesque Canadian, by the name of Xavier Paré, was presented to us. We bade our friends farewell and stepped across the plank to the deck. As we were casting off, Monsieur Gratiot called to us that he would take the first occasion to send our horses back to Kentucky. The oars were manned, the heavy hulk moved, and we were shot out into the mighty current of the river on our way to New Orleans. Nick and I stood for a long time on the deck, and the windows of the little village gleamed like stars among the trees. We passed the last of the houses that nestled against the hill, and below that the forest lay like velvet under the moon. The song of our boatman broke the silence of the night. Voici l'automne et la saison, voici l'automne et la saison. Ah, vire qui les gens solosa. Ah, vire qu'ile Jean Solosa. End of chapter nine.